So who wasn't here last week, last month, two months ago, sorry? Right, well I'll do my best to recap. I might need your help a little bit to, to help me with some of the things we went through. We were looking at the subject of encountering God. We started off, I think, just by thinking about all the things that God is to us. We know of his character, we know of his attributes, and we, and we shared some of those things amongst ourselves, and we wrote them down. And then we thought about, but actually that the way that God wants to reveal himself to us in a relationship to us is, is as a father. Uh, not just that he, that he is a father, but that his fatherhood, his fatherly attributes is something that he wants to, to engage with us as we have relationship with him. And so because of that, we, we went to that really well-known passage from Luke 15 about the prodigal son. We made some notes as we read the passage together and we came up with loads and loads of things about the characteristics of the father from the moment that the younger son went to, to meet him and ask for his inheritance and ask his money, um, his share of the inheritance, to how the father was waiting and looking for his, for his son to return to the point where his son returned and how the father welcomed back the son um, unconditionally and the things he lavished on him as a symbol of him not returning as a contrite a boy, but a man who has been welcomed back into the bosom of his father and to the bosom of his family. And then we also looked at that equally important part of him going to the oldest son, who kind of re- represents, I think, the religious part of us, which says, I've been serving you all my life. What have you done for me? What have you got for me? While this younger son, who's lived his life and burnt his bridges and used all your money, you know, has come back and been welcomed and you're throwing a party for him. So we looked at just how God is reflected in those attributes of that story and what that means to us. And then we moved into the, the point of thinking, you know, most of us have, have, know this stuff. We've read The Father Heart of God by Floyd McClung. We kind of... But, but the reality hits the road is, is, is how much do we actually live out of a relationship with the Father where he's freely able to look at us and we're freely able to see him as he is, as a loving Father. And we recognise that there's, there's things which, mainly from our past, from our childhood, are the way we've perceived authority figures um, and the disappointments that we've taken through life that have actually caused a distorted image of God. And we've often lived with that distorted image. And in, in, because of that, not able to trust God fully, not really able to live out of the promise which, is, which we know are true, but just see, don't seem to be true for us. And, uh, and I use the analogy of, um, I think it was Gary. Do you want to stand up, Gary? The, that it's almost like, come over here. The God, the Father, stand behind a window, and that our image of Him is is obscured by the hurts and the damage and the brokenness that we have, and that it also means that God can't see us either because we put on this image of ourselves, which is hiding away from the pain that's within because we want to put on a good picture of who we are. And so, part of the process of us encountering God is that we allow him take that walk of that step of trust that we expose ourselves as we really are 
to him and to our friends and things in order that he would be able to start to wash the windows so that we can start to see God more as he is enter into a relation of trust but also that it's a two-way thing that he's able to see us as we really are I didn't say this last time but in between times thank you I heard this um, fantastic um, message on YouTube by um, I always forget his name the chap who wrote The Shack um, William Young and if you if you've if you're IT literate and you want to do this, I really recommend, I know, I know Jenny's not, but I'm sure somebody can help her. Um, I really recommend, put into Google, um, William Young at HTB with, um, what's the pastor of, the vicar of HTB? <coughs> Nicky Gumbel. Nicky Gumbel is interviewing, it's about 45 minutes long. He talks a little bit about, about the book, but he talks about how his, his life, basically what the book came out of. He was um, son of a missionary that went to a, a distant tribe. While he was there, he was systematically abused by the people in the tribe. And his father was a very angry man. So he, he grew up with this abuse and also an angry father. And um, he then came back into real life and tried to live life as best as he could with all his wounds. Um, got married, had children, and at the age of something, 35, um, every, everything fell to pieces. And his wife discovered that he'd been having an affair with her best friend, and his world disintegrated. And it, he describes then how over the next 11 years, with the help of a, of a counsellor and the help of his, his wife, he rebuilt his life. But he says this, and I thought this was such an amazing thing. It says, he says, it took me 11 years to completely wipe the face of my father off the face of God. It took me 11 years. Probably not many of us have that profound a life story, but we all have issues where the face of significant people has impinged on the face, the perfect character of God, and caused that distorted image. Anyway, um, re- listen to it for yourself. So we looked at that and we, we looked at some of the ways that we can allow um, God into, into washing our windows, if you like. Um, and the keys, I think, are really openness and vulnerability, openness with ourselves, first of all, to say this is who I really am and not. And the freedom of knowing that it's so freeing to be known for who you are, really are, instead of who you think others would like you to be or who you would like to be, and just say, this, this is who I am. Don't give up on ourselves, going easy on ourselves, going easy on others as well when they let us down. And I think this is a real key thing, is my temptation is to run away. It's to run away from relationships and to run away from God because of the fear of the intimacy. And I've had to learn how to, first of all with God, to stand in the way of God's love. God's love is fierce, God's love can be scary, God's love can be overwhelming, but not to run away from it, but to stand, put myself in the place where I can receive God's love and, and out of that to receive um, other people's love, especially those closest to me, like my wife and my children, my son. And then the second part, we, we rushed through this a little bit, but we looked at together what are some of the ways we encounter God. And then we looked at some of the ways, some of the places 
that we encounter God. And kind of trying to build up a picture that we encounter church, God in church on a Sunday, but we, re- we encounter God in the most normal places, to the places where he calls us away to be still with him, to the mountaintop places where we encounter his presence. Um, that he has a whole raft of ways that he, and places that he wants to encounter us in. And I think that was sort of it. I know this is a bit unfair to say because we're such a big group. And I, will, I won't embarrass anybody, but if there's anything anybody wants to say that's happened in the last two months or anything that's a reflection of what was shared, then you're more than welcome to. Love, you to hear, love to hear from anything. Maybe something that's happened in your group, so you said. Okay, we're a fairly big group, so it's probably more... It's easier to, to share in your group of three or four than it is amongst everybody. Let's just have a minute or so just to stretch before we go into change subjects and change gear a bit. Um, just have a stretch and say hello to the person next to you if you've just come in late and then we'll get started in a minute or so. Okay, let's get started in this session four of the Awakening course. In a way, authority might be a kind of all the subjects that we're covering. Authority possibly is the one that would least crop up in a discipleship or something course. It's kind of an unusual title. I haven't found any books that are just exclusively written on the subject of authority. Some that are written about authority and prayer and different things. But I think it's really important. And in a way, this week is almost part one and part two is where we look at prayer and spiritual warfare. Because authority and power, which are the two kind of contexts that go together, they they will form a foundation for that next session, definitely. They'll also form a foundation very much for when we look at the Bible, the authority of the Word of God and how we give authority to that in our lives. It'll give a foundation when we look at, at mission. You know, what, what kind of authority do we have to go and declare that this is the good news, not that everything else is good news? And where does the command come from that? So I think this is really important. It, it's going to be a, kind of a lot of laying foundations in the first part and then Gary's going to give more a practical side and lots of examples in the second half some of this I I preached on this about a year and a bit ago so probably you've forgotten some of the things but I will be reusing and rehashing some of the stories and examples I used Um, so sorry about that I want to start by actually going back to, to Luke 15 which I've just talked about and as, as, as that story finishes with Jesus telling how the son's having a party thrown for him and the older son is out in the field and the father's gone to, to implore him, come, come and celebrate the party, come and join in. And I want to imagine, let us imagine, what would the story look like if we carried it on? What if we carried it on six months? What if we carried it on a year? Where would the sons have been? I want to imagine that those sons... Both of them responded to the different ways that the father embraced them back into the family. The one son who'd run away and was so filled with shame that he had to—he would have had to accept that the father wanted to restore him, wanted to give him his full rights of sonship back to him. But what if he did? How would that have looked like? And what about the older son? If, in the six months and a year, he'd let go of his bitterness? 
and his hardness to heart towards his son and to his father. And he said, yeah, I will. I'm going to come and embrace the father's love because it's different for me from the younger son, but I know that it's real. And I think it would look something like this. I think the father would have welcomed them into the family unit, that they would have been underneath his headship because he was still head of the family. But he would have increasingly given them more responsibility over the estate. Maybe the part of the estate he would give each of the sons a little bit more responsibility for. He might have given them some financial responsibility, some training. He would have definitely given responsibility for them to have servants underneath them. that They would be learning how to, to give commands and for them, the servants to obey them. And it would have all been preparation for the time when the father was going to hand over the inheritance to the son. Eventually that would be when he died. And they would have been prepared and trained to step into his inheritance and, I guess, live the life that the father had already lived. And I think that's a really good picture of what living under God's authority looks like. This, This picture of delegated authority, that we're living underneath his headship. But as we do, he's given us responsibility. He's given us power to let his kingdom come. Sharing in the privilege of seeing all kinds of things happening, seeing the captive set free, seeing justice coming in, stand against evil, all those kind of things. So that picture, I want to say, that is a simple picture of, I think, what biblical authority looks like. As I've put in the title, living in my father's house living under his headship. So we're going to start off just by defining a little bit what authority and power mean. Um, Frequently the words authority and power are are used together in a a kind of interchangeable way. Certainly in literature and as the way we speak, we'd often say authority and power within the same context. And it also is used like that where the Bible is translated. There's two Greek words. Exousia is the main word which is translated authority in the Greek. And dunamis, we probably all know, is the word that's translated as power. But in some different versions, the, the way that it's translated gets mixed up and exousia gets translated as power. And it kind of can bring this confusion that actually they're the same thing, whereas they're not. They're two different contexts from those words. Authority, it carries this weight that it's the moral or legal right or ability to control. That's from the Cambridge English Dictionary. So it carries the sense of right, that there is a right to rule or to govern that comes when, you, when a person or a government has authority. Power is slightly different in, it, in it that it's the, rather than the right to rule, it's the strength behind the right to to influence and to rule. It's the strength or potency that enables someone or a government to get things done. So when a government, in in our country, the people elect a government, and as we elect them, we give them the authority to govern over us. So to make laws, to manage the financial state of everything. And then the government has the, has, doesn't have power unless there's people working for it who might be councillors or civil servants or the police or the military who are, able, who are able to enforce 
the laws and the authority the government has. When Jesus sent out the 72, he gave them both authority and power to drive out demons, heal the sick in his name, and they went out and used that authority. And they returned with joy and said, Lord, in your name, even the demons submit to us. And authority and power both have to work together. Authority without power is meaningless. If a government had authority just to make rules but had no power to enforce it, and the people said, well, we don't want these rules, we're not going to follow these laws, then it would be complete, completely meaningless and the government would have no authority at all. Equally, the other hand, if a government had the power but no authority to rule, like a dictatorship or a military junta, then that would just be chaos. It would be anarchic. So both the things, as we apply them to the kingdom, have to apply, that both authority and power are equally important. I'll give a few examples of, of this stories. I've told this story before, but the author of Dutch Sheets, he tells a story about going into his living room one day to watch TV, and he's lying on the floor watching TV with his back to the floor. And he has a nine-month-old boxer dog who is massive at this point of nine months old. And the dog comes in, looks around the room, and goes and sits on the chest of Dutch Sheets. And then, with a great sense of smug satisfaction, looks around the room at the rest of the family members, thinking, saying, look, look who's in control here. So Dutch Sheets commands him to get off. He has the authority to do that. But this dog weighs far more than he's able to get off his chest. So the dog remains sitting there while he commands and struggles to get him off. So he has the authority, but the dog has the power. And after much undignified wrestling, eventually he manages to to wrestle the dog off and uh, banishes him to a corner of the room. But, as you see, authority without power is, is meaningless. This is another story that um, Tom Marshall, the, the author, who's sadly died now, but uh, teacher and author, he tells about in his young days as a youth leader, he was leading a youth club, club um, near Wellington in New Zealand. And um, I think he was quite a small man. And um, all the people in his youth club were Pacific Islanders, Fijians, Samoans, and... Um, they're all completely massive. Have you ever seen the Fijian rugby team or the Samoan rugby team? They're all kind of six foot four, and that's just across the shoulders. And on this evening, Friday evening, the meeting was going along, the youth club was going on, and it was getting more and more rowdy. The music was getting louder and louder. So Tom Marshall stopped everything and said, um, look, if you don't calm down, turn the music down, stop breaking stuff, I'm going to close the meeting down. For a little while it went quiet again and then slowly, slowly started building up and building up. And he was faced with a dilemma because he was the only youth leader there. So he had the authority to stop things but he certainly didn't have the power because there were so many of them and they were so much bigger than him and there were so many more of him. So he had a dilemma. Do I exercise my authority and risk them just ignoring me or do I just let it carry on as it is? So he did. He went over and he just switched the music off and said, okay, that's it, guys. I've given you a warning. Go home. And they stood there looking at him for some time. And and to his great surprise, they started one by one turning around and walking out until they'd all cleared out. 
And he was really surprised because he didn't have the power to back up his authority, but they still did what he said. And he said he learned something at that point about the power of exercising your authority. And that, I think, is the key to what we're talking about tonight. As Christians, we're going to look at the kind of biblical viewpoint of this. We don't need to ask for more authority because Christ has given it to us. What we need is the revelation that we have it so that we can use it. And also the revelation that we need to exercise it and not be passive and sit back and wait for other things to happen. So we're going to look at now the biblical foundations of a believer's authority in Christ. And I'm going to need some volunteers here to kind of act this out. And I need the rest of you to help with some readings. So what I'll do first of all, if I could get Gary and Christian, right? And um, could you just, if you, want to, if you want to take a do a reading, it's very, very short. If you could take one of the slips... I have to do it in a nice loud voice. I think there's about 15, so just pass the, pass the bowl around. Um, actually, can I have James and Ursula come up to help me? No, no acting involved. You'll have to give your slip to somebody else, I think. We're just going to look at the biblical foundations from Genesis through. This key represents God's authority to us. Chris, if you can be God the Father. So... How are we doing for the... I'll keep stalling till all the things are handed out. So God the Father, of course, has all authority and in heaven on earth belongs to, to you. And that, that authority is represented by, by this key. And has anybody got... If you look at the verses you've got, I need Genesis 1.26. So God gave the authority to man and woman... Yeah, so if you take that, that represents now the authority. Has anybody got Genesis one twenty six? Rita, could you read out Genesis one nice loud voice? Then God said, Let us make humankind in our image, according to our likeness, and let them have dominion over the fish at the sea, and over the birds of the air, and over the cattle, and over all the wild animals of the earth, and over every creeping thing. Okay, so God gave, God gave dominion to man and woman to rule over, justly, over the birds of the air and the cattle, etc. And, and Genesis one twenty eight. God blessed them and said to them, Be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it and have domination over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the air and over every living thing that moves upon the earth. So when God created man and woman, he gave them authority to be stewards and to rule over the earth. And that was a real authority that he gave them. Now, if we, if we know further on the story, Genesis 3, um, how the serpent usurped that authority from Adam and Eve. How did he deceive them that God was holding something back from them? So if somebody could read Genesis 3, 1. Now the serpent was more crafty than any other wild animal that the Lord God had made. He said to the woman, Did God say, You shall not eat from any tree in the garden? But the serpent said to the woman, You will not die, 
For God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be opened and you'll be like God, knowing good and evil. So that the authority that had been given to man was usurped by Satan. Satan, do you want to step forward? (laughs) Poor old Gary, he always gets typecast as Satan. (laughs) It was, yeah. Anyway, so because man and woman had believed a lie rather than trusting God, Satan usurped that, that authority to rule over the world. And so the key gets passed over. And in different verses in the Bible, it calls Satan, not that Satan has dominion over God or any power over God, but it calls him the, the prince of this world or the god of this world in different places. If you've got, anybody got Luke 4, verse 5 and 8? Then the devil led him up and showed him in an instant all the kingdoms of the world. And the devil said to him, To you I will give their glory and all this authority, for it has been given over to you, and I give it to anyone in my kings. If you then will worship me, the Lord yours. Jesus answered him, It is written, Worship the Lord your God, serve only him. Satan comes to Jesus in the temptation in the wilderness and says, um, to you I'll give the glory and all this and all this authority, for it has been given up to me. It wasn't given by God. It was, it was man giving his birthright, his inheritance, to Satan, so that all those who, trusted, who didn't trust God were underneath his authority. And then Christ came. So has somebody got... Um, Luke four twelve to thirteen. If you could read that out, please. Okay, we need a Jesus to step forward. Um, Heather, do you mind being Jesus since you're on the front row? Yeah, it's nice to have a... (laughs) You can go whatever you like. (laughs) So Jesus came as a man, but he didn't come under the authority of the enemy because he was sinless, he was completely obedient to the Father, completely submitted to the Father. And so, Satan had no hold on him, the devil had no hold over him, no jurisdiction, no authority over him. So, if you could take the key from, from Satan... And then the slightly longer verse, Luke four thirty-one to thirty-seven. He went down to Capernaum, a city in Galilee, and was teaching them on the Sabbath. They were astounded at his teaching, because he spoke with authority. In the synagogue, there was a man who had the spirit of an unclean demon, and he cried out with a loud voice, "Let us alone!" What have you to do with us, Jesus of Nazareth? Have you come to destroy us? I know who you are, the Holy One of God. But Jesus rebuked him, saying, Be silent and come out of him. When the demon had thrown him down before them, he came out of him without having done him any harm. They were all amazed and kept saying to one another, What kind of utterance is this? For with authority and power, he commands the unclean spirits, and out they come. 
Thank you. People were amazed at the authority that Jesus had. Nobody, they'd never seen anybody speak with the authority that Jesus had or heal or do miracles or raise the dead with that kind of authority because he was only, he was as near to God in authority, in submission as anybody could be and nothing else had any hold of him, whether it was the, the devil, the world or the flesh. Somebody got, uh, could read out Luke 4, 44. 4440 over sin, over death, over Satan, over the world and all its systems became not just limited to him and his, his place in that moment in time and in space, but it became universal and it became eternal. And Jesus says, all authority on heaven and earth has been given to me. All authority has been given to me. And then out of that, he gave the authority back to his followers so if somebody could read Matthew 26. 28. Sorry, 28, yes. Verse 19. 20. <laughs> Matthew 28, 18. <laughs> I think I've missed out one of the verses, that's why. Could you read the 19, Matthew 28, 19 to 20, not the 18 one? Go therefore Thank you. Mark 16, 15 to 18. And he said to them, Go into all the world and proclaim the good news for the whole creation. The one who believes and is baptized will be saved, but the one who does not believe will be dead. And these signs will accompany those who believe. By using my name, they will cast out demons, they will speak in new tongues, and will pick up snakes in their hands. And if they drink any deadly thing, it will not hurt them. They will lay their hands on the sick, and they will recover. Thank you. So because, by the way of the cross, Jesus, <clears throat> Heather, was able to give authority back to the sons and daughters of God. So if you could just pass it to Richard behind you, and just pass it around. And then just one more verse to finish off. Acts, Acts 5, verse 16. A great number of people would also gather from the towns around Jerusalem, bringing the sick, and those tormented by unclean spirits, and they were all cured. Thank you. I've missed out a few of those verses there just for, for time. But Jesus has given the authority. Jesus has all authority from the Father being given to him. And out of that he is given the authority and the power to proclaim his kingdom, to see captives set free, to see injustice changed to us, his church. Oh, you, you can have a seat down, thank you. And that's amazing news. 
I mean, we, I was sitting in church yesterday and we sang this song, Who Breaks the Power of Sin and Darkness? Whose love is mighty and so much stronger? The King of Glory, the King above all kings. Who shakes the whole earth with holy thunder? Who leaves us breathless in awe and wonder? The King of Glory, the King above all kings. This is amazing grace. And then the second verse is, Who brings our chaos back into order? Who makes the orphan a son and daughter? The King of Glory, the King above all kings. It's what Jesus has done, and he's given us that authority to rule again so that his authority would come over the whole earth. Thank you. And we sing those songs, and we know those scriptures, and we probably quote them, but the difficult thing is where the reality hits the road. And I, I had a time just before Christmas where I was feeling so low for no particular reason so under the circumstances and I thought where is my joy in Christ where is my life you know my excitement gone and I just felt completely squashed and it it, I think so many of us at, at that when the rubber hits the road we look around the world and the chaos of wars and we think well who is in control I mean, I think somebody in one of our life groups asked the question, well, who is in control when we see so much going on around the world? And even when we look at our own lives and see, gosh, I don't feel, I feel like I'm under the circumstances and under the world rather than what the promises of God are to be full of life and victory and hope. But the truth starts with our private worlds. At that point, at some point, I had the revelation at the beginning of January... I, am, I don't need to live like this. I don't need to live under the authority of just circumstances of bills to pay. And something just rose up in me that God gave me to say, just stand against this in Jesus' name. You are not created for this. And as I did, and as I confessed, you know, this is who I'm made to be, that weight just lifted off me. That oppression lifted off me. And uh, I felt completely different within a few days. I'm just going to do the next bit about reading, um, unpacking the principles of authority using the story of the Roman centurion. And I I think Anna's just going to come up and read it. It's from Matthew 8, verses 5 to 13. Jesus heals a centurion's servant. When he entered Capernaum, a centurion came to him, appealing to him, and saying, Lord, my servant is lying at home paralyzed in terrible distress. And he said to him, I will come and cure him. The centurion answered, Lord, I am not worthy to have you come under my roof, but only speak the word and my servant will be healed. For I also am a man under authority with soldiers under me. And I say to one, go, and he goes, and to another, come, and he comes, and to my slave, do this, and the slave does it. When Jesus heard him, he was amazed and said to those who followed him, Truly, I tell you, in no one in Israel have I found such faith. I tell you, many will come from east and west and will eat with Abraham and Isaac and Jacob in the kingdom of heaven, while the heirs of the kingdom will be thrown into the outer darkness, where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. And to the centurion, Jesus said, Go, let it be done for you according to your faith. And the servant was healed in that hour. Thank you, Anna. This is an amazing story. 
The centurion recognised something about Jesus that his disciples and all the people who are Israelites hadn't recognised and that it took somebody who was a Roman citizen, who, an invader in their land, to actually recognise it. And there were a few different things I just want to pull out here. Firstly, the centurion recognised that true legal authority can only be given. It can't be taken. The centurion knew that he in himself, he had authority over a hundred men. And as long as he stayed under the authority of, of his superior officer, um, his men knew that if they disobeyed him, then his superior officer would back him up. And if he didn't, then his superior superior officer would back him up. All the way up to Rome, there was this hierarchy of power. And all the power of, of Rome stood behind the centurion as long as he stayed under the authority of Rome. And, of and what the centurion recognised was that Jesus was, in the same way, uniquely placed under the Father's authority. Um, don't know how many people were in, in church yesterday, but Peter Elwin talked about there being no hierarchies within the Trinity, and that instead it's a dance of love, where each person of the Trinity honours one another and um, speaks well of the other person. And I, I totally agree with that. But something unique happened when Jesus left heaven, was that he left his authority and power. He willingly laid down his authority and power in order that he would become like one of us, in order that he would live a life that only he could live in total submission to the Father. Philippians 2 says that, although being in nature God, he didn't consider equality with God as something to be grasped, but emptied himself, taking the nature of a slave. And what followed on from that was that with that the, the centurion recognised that with authority comes the power to command that you have people underneath you, you have situations underneath you which obey you because you have authority and power. And for the centurion, that meant commanding soldiers who enforce the law of Rome in Palestine. And in the same way, Jesus had command and could enforce God's will over all the things that he had authority over, over sickness, over death, over the wind and the waves, over creation. He could command life um, not death. He could command freedom, not enslavement. And even more than that, the centurion recognised the extent of Jesus' authority. He said, I say to my men, do this, and they do it. And in the same way, he recognised Jesus only had to speak the word, even from a distance. He didn't even need to go to the centurion's house he didn't need to lay hands on the centurion's servant. But just by the power of authority, he could speak the word and the servant would be healed. And there's loads more that we could unpack from that story just for the nature of Jesus' authority. I just want to finish off this before we have a break. <clears throat> that we just understand the final part, the keys to Christ's authority. Uh, four things. And the first thing, and the foundational thing, was that Jesus knew who he was. Jesus knew his belovedness. 
And the foundational core of his authority and his power was that he knew that he was God's beloved son, his dearly beloved son, and whom the father was well pleased. I think God had been speaking that to him all his life, but he announced it for other people to hear at his baptism. And he spoke it again when Jesus was transfigured. Um, This is my son whom I love. Do as he says or something. No, I think I'm misquoting that. And so for us, the core foundation of, of who we are and who we are called to be to have headship and rulership is not the words we speak, but the core identity of who we are as God's beloved. The prime place of attack against us when we come to pray and use our authority or come to speak is that place of, who are you to say that? Who are you to, to pray that? Who do you think you are? And we, come, we can rest back into the place of, more than anything else, I am God's child, I am God's beloved, just as Jesus did. The second key to underst- of understanding Christ's authority, he knew who he believed. He knew what God had said was true. When you think of Jesus being um, tempted in the wilderness and Satan coming to him with the accusations which were so core to the beginning of Jesus' ministry, Jesus knew who he believed. He knew what the scriptures promised about him. And although all kinds of assaults were going on around him, he stood firm to what he'd known through since his childhood. This is what God is like. This is what God has promised. And for us, the keys to our authority is also so much being grounded in God's word of, of knowing what God has promised, of knowing God, who God is. And then the, the next thing, Jesus knew who he believed. Jesus was completely surrendered and in obedience to the will of the Father. One of my, my favourite passages in the Bible is John 5, where Jesus unpacks the relationship he has with the Father and he says things like very truly I tell you the Son can only do what he sees the Father doing and he goes on to say the Son only speaks what the Father is saying and even though Jesus had complete equality with God he laid that down and he was in complete surrender and and, and need for the Father to, to move and so in his yieldedness was his key to his authority. There was no hint of rebellion in him. There's no hint of, I'll do this in my own way and see the consequences. For us, it's a bit of a, a tension between, of course, we're going to blow it. Sometimes we will make mistakes. Sometimes we will be rebellious. And we have to come back and just acknowledge that in repentance and say, God, I know that. But as we... As we grow in obedience, then so does the knowledge of our authority in different situations. I think as we might talk about this next time, but as we obey God, as we follow his promptings when we pray, and we see the fruit of that, then our authority in prayer will start to increase. And finally, and perhaps most importantly, Jesus just didn't know his authority, but he exercised it. I think there's a temptation in all of us and definitely in myself to be to know all the to know all the promises and yet to stand back and wait for things to happen and be passive. 
if there was ever a book that was going to be written on passivity, I would be the person to write it if I ever got around to it. But God wants us to stir us up in our spirits, to not to be passive, not to wait for things to happen, but be stirred up by what we see in the world, by the injustice we see when we watch the news, by the evil we see, and not to just say, oh, that's terrible. Or the things in our personal lives which we get satisfied, you know, we just get used to failing or used to being downtrodden by situations. But something in our spirit to rise up and and to take authority in situations and to say, I'm not going to put up with this anymore. I haven't been made for this. And in a way, that rising out of passivity is a hard thing because it involves a battle. And in some ways it's much easier just to have the status quo and to settle for less. But when we start to engage and say, I've been made for more than this, then something will be released in us and we will will grow into the authority that God has for us. Let me finish with a a quick story. When I was um, in India, I'd probably been in India for about five years and we'd been language learning and uh, we've been meeting the people, the Charons, we've been working with. And I wasn't very good at language learning. I'm not very good at evangelism. <clears throat> but I knew that God had called me to this place. And I'd had a whole bout of kidney stones. I'd had skin cancer. I'd had gastric things. And I was just so under the circumstances that I was in. So feeling, what am I doing here? I'm not even good at what I'm doing. And uh, in the midst of this, feeling more and more depressed, I guess, um, I went away to a school of, what was it called? Worship and Spiritual Warfare in Delhi, or Worship and Intercession. And I sat in the first worship time thinking again, what am I doing here? And at the end of it, the the guy who was leading it, he knew we were there, and he just called me and another guy from Gujarat out the front. And they started to pray over me, pray over us. And as they prayed, just something was released in me. And I started to weep and weep and weep like I've never wept before. And something of the oppression that I'd been under lifted off me. And um, I was brought into a freedom and a new authority just as they prayed over me. And I can't remember the specific things they prayed. But that, from that moment, I came into not really knowing what I was there for. A time of the next two or three years where we, we had a research and an intercession project for the Charons, which saw just such a breakthrough in the way we understood who these people were we were walking for, working with. And a new level of authority in me in intercession and warfare that I'd never experienced. And that came out of something arising in me, rising up and saying, you were made for more than this, and stepping out of that passivity.